Hi everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Creativity Sucks, a podcast from Creative Review, where we address some of the struggles and the joys of working in the creative industries. In this latest episode, we're going to be looking at the rise of artificial intelligence and asking, how should creatives and designers really feel about AI? I'm Eliza Williams, Creative Reviews Editor, and I'll be your host for this show, where I'm joined by three guests to discuss the topic. Ian Tate, who has previously worked at Wyden, Kennedy and Google Creative Lab and has recently co-founded the new creative agency Food. Vicky Ross, copywriter extraordinaire, who has worked with brands including Sky, Spotify, Nando's and many more. And designer Eric Hu, who was previously Global Design Director at Nike and now runs his own practice, working with a wide range of clients from Netflix to the New York Times. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hi, thank you. Hi. Pleasure to be here. Hello. Now, it feels like AI is all anyone has been talking about lately, particularly since the arrival of DALI, Midjourney, and ChatGPT, which have provided creators with plenty of fun, but also a fair bit of fear. Things in the AI space are moving so quickly that it can feel hard to keep up. But it also seems like these new developments are stretching beyond just the latest tech trend into something more fundamental. We're going to get into these bigger questions about what it might mean for the creative industries. But to start with, I'm just interested to hear about our panellists' own experiences with AI. Ian, maybe you could start us off. Have you been experimenting with it in your work? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've sort of managed to sneak it into a few projects over the last over the last few years. I think the first one we did when I was back at Widens, we worked with Gillian Waring and we worked with her, you know, around her practice of identity. And we created a deep fake of her that got put into the Cincinnati Gallery of Modern Art and we worked on a super interesting project from Niantic, the people who did Pokemon Go, where we built two AIs and sort of trained them in different philosophies and then got them to kind of war against each other to, to recruit candidates to two sides of a video game, which we did with Tool in LA, which was really good. And I've made a music video using some of the sort of early stable diffusion stuff for, for an artist called Calibre. So I've, I've managed to kind of, you know, sneak into some work. But I think, you know, more than that for me, it's sort of become a, a weird kind of late night hobby where sort of messing around with this stuff is just, you know, it, as someone who's quite creatively curious, this feeling that you've got a sort of a, another source of kind of references and styles and types of writing and weird ways of looking at the world that you can kind of churn things out kind of almost endlessly is really addictive and almost problematic for me because it's just you just see so much potential in it um, in both good and bad ways which is probably what we're going to get into in this conversation. Eric how about you as you're also in the visual space have you been using it? Absolutely I, I would say that I'm in a similar boat with Ian where you know for the past I would say a year and a half I've been slowly kind of incorporating um AI generated imagery into my work, not necessarily like professional work, but um, definitely like, I would say like the majority of my personal work has some sort of like AI influence or some kind of part of the process. It takes me a while for it to just kind of transition it to being in a professional setting, to be honest, but I've definitely experimented with Midjourney. Um, you know, I'm a very heavy user in Midjourney, also with Stable Diffusion, which is sort of like an open source alternative that you could run on your own device and also just kind of like building offshoots on it. I just got access to the OpenAI uh, API, um, which kind of lets me just build apps on top of ChatGPT and other interfaces. So definitely excited to dive into that. And yeah, it's something that occupies my mind, I would say, 
it's something just kind of just scratching at the back of my brain, I would say like half of the day, every day, I would say, um, for both like good and bad reasons. So I think there is this incredible amount of potential in ways that I don't think we fully understand or really conceive. And I think in the same token, there's this incredible amount of terror um, and just anxiety that I feel around it as well. I don't think there's ever been, I think, a single, I think, technological kind of paradigm being introduced that has wrought so many, I think, contradictions in my own mental models and my own sort of like thinking and ethics and and whatnot. And so, yeah, I'm just really excited to just dive into that um, deeper with everyone here. Yeah, I'm intrigued by you saying that you've been using it mainly in your personal work. And I just wonder, was it more just the kind of curiosity that brought you in there? Or is it giving you something that you feel you can't generate on your own, if that makes sense? It's sort of like, I think my journey with AI has been very similar with my journey with any sort of new software or tool where I think I come in usually not out of like pure curiosity, but there's usually something, a use case I have in mind. I think in this case, it was like, there were more kind of practical concerns at first. It's like, I wanted to cut down on render times with 3D software. I wanted to, you know, just augment, I think some image making capabilities. And for a while, I think when you come in a new tool and use it in a specific way, you're trying to learn the craft and and train and, and study itself. And it's really just was a means to an end. And then at some point, I think the more I learned about how things kind of worked under the hood, the more I became curious about it as a general aspect. And then instead of like giving it um, or asking it to do like very straightforward tasks or, or things that would augment what I was like currently doing, I just started like really breaking it. The way I would write prompts, um, the way I'd experiment with it, it became sort of like I started messing with AI, you know, because I had specific images in my mind that I wanted to create, but didn't have the resources to. And then I think as I got to know the tool better, I just started trying to create things that I really didn't expect. And and when I mean break, I, I really mean like using the software in ways that it wasn't really intended. So the way experimenting with the way I wrote prompts, experimenting with like, you know, modifying the source code in different settings, just really seeing why I would break in it. And I think a lot of people really start things like that too. It's like maybe, you know, you got in a graphic design because of a specific case where it's like you're in a band and you need an album cover and you kind of go in with a very specific task thinking you're going to exit and then curiosity stays in and the more familiar you are and more acquainted you get with I think certain tools I think everybody has this curiosity in them too it's like you start to try to push the boundaries and the edge cases and the breaking of things as well too and so it's definitely shifted um, into something that's a lot more kind of ambiguous and I think maybe that's why it stays more in my personal work because I think for me right now, it's like, I'm just like really kind of calibrating myself um, and just really trying to see, you know, what, what everything is like, I think, capable of. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think the sort of, uh, the sort of simplistic way of thinking of it is it will just deliver something. You ask it to do something, it gives it to you. And actually what you're talking about is using it as a tool to kind of open up new possibilities um, which I think we should get into a bit more. But Vicky, I want to bring you in. I'm assuming you've sort of been using maybe more the copy aspects of AI, but I don't know. What have you been trying out? Uh, so I started using AI five days ago and got bored of using AI about four days ago. 
because so far it's just not great for copy and I knew it wouldn't be I did a load of research on AI versus copywriters a couple of years ago and while it can create the standard stuff which um, we might want to delegate to AI one day it can't create standout stuff and I am just talking about copy um it can't create stuff that's going to really mean something to someone and I guess I haven't spent enough time feeding it with potentially better prompts I do keep seeing you know the better that we feed it the better outputs that we'll get but I just I don't have the time or the desire I could spend that time writing stuff myself I'm not saying that I'm better than AI but I am saying that I love my job and I don't want to eliminate a bit of it, not yet anyway. And also I worry about losing the magic in the process if you're outsourcing a bit of that process to AI, which I don't think can bring up any magic just yet. Again, speaking for copy specifically. You know, I'm not completely ignoring it. I do believe that there are benefits to it and there are things that we can do with it that will aid our creativity um and obviously you and Eric both mentioned about you know your curious nature and and playing into that other more optimistic people have have said similar things like um Rob Schwartz recently the CEO at TPWA he wrote an article about how it's good for using um it to help you think about you know first thoughts so um you know giving you a starting point and then pushing you to think harder and do better which is a great use for it um but as I say and I'll probably keep saying so I'll, I'll be boring but I need to spend more time on it obviously like I think the word replacement like I don't really think it needs to be or it should be about that thinking of it as like a collaborator or something to bounce ideas off of like I think might be better but I also think we severely underestimated how much harder it would be to have AI like generate language, then it would be to generate images. I think it's just really kind of interesting where we almost discovered, I think this AI image generation, like mid journey, we almost discovered it by accident. Um, we were trying to like, not we as in ourselves, but like, um, you know, AI research scientists were trying to do something completely different and they kind of stumbled upon it. They were trying to create these like AI, um, filters that would remove noise from an image, like just like kind of random static bits. It's like when you used to take um, a photo of a dark room with your iPhone and you get these like little pixels of colors. That's what they try to remove. And it's actually like a really hard task. And, you know, they started training like AI to just kind of recognize these images and what goes on and to caption these things. And, you know, a few years later, it got really good. And, you know, they started giving it noisier and noisier images. And then it hit this point where, you know, the images that it was screening was, was pretty much just pure static. Like you really couldn't tell what was in that image. It just looked like a lot of, you know, static pixels. And at that point, it was sort of like, if we give the AI a little bit nudge and say like, this is a person with a balloon and it's able to denoise and filter out and come out with a clear image. What if we just lied to it? Um, you know, it's a purely static image. It's just literally pure pixels. And then we just try to give it a nudge. I'm oversimplifying this a lot, but that's essentially how we stumbled upon this. And so I think we have a very good idea of where this technology could head, but emergent behavior happens and things just really happen by accident. The things that I've more appreciated, I think learning about the limitations of the software too, is just just to use like ChatGPT as an example, even GPT-4. I'm oversimplifying this a lot again, but it doesn't know the end of a sentence when it starts the sentence. What it does is that like, it's it's kind of just predicting the next word, one word at a time. You get these interesting kind of behaviors where 
if you ask it to write like some crazy analysis about something, it's able to just do it pretty flawlessly. But if you ask it to tell a joke, it has a hard time doing it um, because for humans, telling a joke requires you to know the punchline. You have to think a few steps in advance. And, you know, the software simply just isn't really there yet. Requiring it to do so require, requires some pretty fundamental shifts in how it functions. And so, you know, when you ask it for a palindrome um, or to, you know, you could ask, like, you could give it a paragraph and see, like, how many adverbs there are, and it'll say 37. But if you ask it to count each adverb as it reads a sentence out loud, it's you'll you'll find it's hilarious like it, it will it really will mess up the the counting and what what's what it's but i think these are things where that get that's what really interests me it's like the things that it can't really do and those are the things that i keep forcing it to try to do because at that point it just becomes it, get, it takes it into this absurd kind of territory and that's and this is where i mean where the sparring partner is kind of useful it's like i kind of just don't want it to help me do things it's like i kind of want it to do the opposite of what i'm doing and then i use it kind of as a comparison or as this examination when you talk about the tech like writing techniques as a so i write tone of voice guidelines and i mean already tone of voice guidelines aren't that great in the main often they say what the tone of voice is but not how to execute it and i can't see the ai at the moment would be able to distinguish the how um, of the execution like can it recognize that writing with rhythm makes copy memorable and speeding it up makes it exciting or using full stops gives it an impact and you can play with words for a twist you know that sort of thing I can't see it doing that yet and to your point it, it maybe isn't AI also can't replicate like a real human emotion and experience so I mean we can tell it what we think and feel or we can talk we can tell it about an experience that we've had but I don't think it can then replicate it in a way that's going to be meaningful to an audience so you know if I think about the recent McDonald's ad we speak late night I don't know if you've seen it but the headlines were gobbledygook basically it was representing people speaking drunk um trying to order a McDonald's and I just can't see that AI would come up with something like that because it hasn't been to a pub and drunk for five hours and then needed to order a burger on its way home. I suppose my feeling is when the things it can't do now, I guess my assumption is that it will be able to do at some point is always my feeling. And so, Vicky, I wanted to ask you in a way why you hadn't used it up until this point and whether that was in part because of a a cynicism about it, maybe, because I think there's a lot of people who feel because um, I think for, for me and, and Eric, there's a kind of playful, artistic experimentation there. But I think a lot of people are anxious about it taking over things or being used in a way that um, makes things worse. And is I mean, is that partly why you hadn't looked at it? Or is it more that you're just not that interested in those things? No, the longer answer is I did do, as I said, I did do a load of research a couple of years ago and my opinions and the outputs haven't changed my opinion since. But also I am a technophobe. I can just about work a Word document. So that's another reason for not getting into it. I mean, I did enjoy looking into it when I started the other day, but I just wasn't getting to anything that I thought was worth my time. Um, I'm not anxious. I you know, there is a lot of talk about AI taking a copywriter's job. And it will take some copywriters jobs, unfortunately, because there are jobs that are sort of standard and and AI could replicate those really easily. But also the more worrying bit is that non copywriters, so people who 
pay for copywriters who maybe don't value them or the craft, they're going to input stuff like write me an ad for this or write me an email to a customer about that. And they're going to get something that's at the moment satisfactory because maybe their brand doesn't need to be that creative or they just don't recognize good creativity. And I think that's the bit that we need to be concerned about, that we could end up with a pretty bland landscape in terms of advertising copy or marketing copy. To some extent, we're already in that world, right? So it's a a fear that it's going to make that worse, I suppose, is what I would worry about. And, you know, similarly, journalism is already being used in journalism to kind of create, I guess, what you might call journalism or listicles and things that are not perhaps bringing the world great ideas or exciting thoughts. And I I guess that's the concern, maybe, that it just contributes to an even blander landscape. Ian, what do you think about that side of it? I'm glad you came to me. I was bursting to say this. There's something about, you know, one of the very strong feelings I've had since the beginning of this, that it just kind of brings around like a huge crash in terms of the value of of all kinds of content. But like you say, mostly crappy content that we all sort of wish wasn't there anyway. And I can now smell chat GPT written copy and it, it started creeping its way into kind of you know, spammy cold call emails offering to help with business stuff. I can start to smell it because, you know, I'm there. My kids understand it. They can look at it. They just instinctively get it. And I think very quickly, the aesthetics and the and the tone of badly executed AI stuff, it's just going to really have a whiff about it that people are able to smell a mile off. And I hope it's just going to drive people to kind of going, what, why are we putting up with this bland copy why are we producing all of this stuff in the world that sort of no one really wants it's basically written by bots for other bots reporting on advertising tracking to kind of create this snake eating its own tail thing and actually it's time for you know that does need to crash and it needs to go away and it needs to be replaced by something better so part of me hopes that it will sort of drive that kind of sort of Family, no one needs it, no one wants it, kind of terrible content out of business. That'd be a positive side. Other people have said to me, like, it's good to use as a what not to do and what to move away from. Well, like, not to get too negative and, and bring everything down, but in the climate that we're in, we need brands that stand out and stand for something. I don't just mean in a purpose way, I mean, like, for their business, because they need people to spend money with them and, and want to be their customers. And People aren't going to do that if they're not being spoken to in a way that they find interesting or entertaining or engaging or or just relevant at all. A lot of this anxiety is just really compounded by, I think, the original sin of the internet, which was the web when it first really emerged, just really didn't take the time to figure out a model that was like sustainable, like in its effort to try to make everything free and accessible, us like the users like became the product. And, And really from there, it's like, you know, we've created this culture where it's like we value things by how long they take to do and how hard they are to do. And we've oriented society around that. And we oriented like so much of like the arts into into these like money making kind of positions. We I personally don't think it's worth, you know, my time to try to uninvent the steam engine. If I really am worried, then I should really spend my time trying to figure out if the train stations are equitable. You know, if the train network is serving everyone kind of equally. And so this is kind of the the thing where it's happening, where it's like in the long term, this technology has like a lot of potentials, but in the short term, there's going to be a lot of, I think, chaos. And, you know, just to simply say, it doesn't have to actually work for it to have an effect on your life is what I'm trying to say. And this is kind of like the unpredictable part. And this is where I I temper people. It's like, I don't think it would ever replace you 100%, but, you know, if it replaced 
just 10% of your stuff, that's ostensibly 10% less income in an environment where things are getting 10% more expensive a year. I think whatever it is, like whether it, people choose to ignore it or people choose to you know engage with it, I think like definitely don't underestimate it because I, I really think there's also an even bigger problem, I think, on the other side where you got people on Twitter and social media just making just these like 100 tweet kind of threads talking about how you know, this is going to be great. And this is going to be utopia. Like, I think that's just equally irresponsible, you know, because I don't think we fully, you know, process like the ramifications. Like if anyone's saying it's like not a big deal and the next five years are just going to go exactly as they predict, I would call them the G word straight up, just, you know, like a grifter. Like, I don't think you know what the hell you're talking about. You know, if you think that, you know, and this is not anybody here. It's just that like, this is just has been something that's like come up a lot recently. The thing that worries me the most is, you know, all of these services, when you look at the bottom, it's like, this is just an experiment. And it, you know, it has potential to make mistakes. And, you know, we've got the biggest, richest, most smartest companies in the world, all rushing to put products that are, that are ostensibly not finished out into the world and unleash, you know, and, you know, hang the consequence. Because, you know, if you're, if you're three days late on your announcement, then the stock price crashes. So, the markets are basically just like driving this desire to be seen to be doing this stuff. And it feels so, so reckless. Historically, we haven't been good at using technological advancement to kind of make more free time for people or to redistribute wealth in kind of good ways. It's kind of it's flowing in, a, in and it feels like, again, it's flowing in quite a common direction. So you know, the increase in GDP is going a certain way and the kind of the hours of work that are being taken away are being taken away from a certain group of people. So I really worry about how fast this is moving to, to, to Eric's point. I mean, all of those projects that I've done with AI, by the time you finish the project, you're like, I wish I could start it again. You know, there's a totally better way of, of doing it now. And that's always in the course of weeks. So we're kind of heading into this sort of exponential kind of moment and no no one knows what happens when the exponential line goes vertical i'm not saying that we're there yet but it does sort of feel like it's tending towards being pretty vertical to me i, I think the craziest thing i read um and and i forgot who, who wrote it and i don't necessarily think it's like like um like 100 percent gonna like be true but it was something that just made me thought like you know I think this was like a this was an AI researcher or just somebody within I think that's similar domain but he mentioned that he was wondering if this was perhaps the last years where human beings are the primarily the ones that record and write history meaning like the ones that write the news and document it and and what that possibly means and in in many ways if this is that that last year of like human like human beings being like the people primarily in charge of documenting and recording history for human beings you know, what does that mean? And what does that imply? I think where we are now, it's like, we have just gotten over the hard part and expect things to develop quicker and easier. I think from this point forward, I think, especially because a lot of these tools and softwares are now open source. And then this is a thing where it's like, you know, if AI is going to be a big part of our lives, like it should not be closed source. Like the biggest companies shouldn't be the ones that kind of protect it. Everybody should have equal access to it at the same time. That's like saying like everybody should have equal access to an AK-47. Like that's, you know, it's a very potentially powerful weapon at your feet. And it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, in a world where like we're going to be ruled by people with AK-47s, like it's only fair that we get some too. But like just as a human being, like that's probably not going to end well, at least in the short term.
Vicky, I want to bring you in. I mean, we're talking about ethics here, but I suppose a lot of my uh, experiences with with Chat GPT in particular have been kind of funny because of errors and you know, kind of comedy, you know, it, it making up things, you know, making up my own biography that I put in once. It created a whole backstory for me that was fake. I've seen it create fake links to articles that don't exist that it says people have written. And a lot of it's quite amusing, but obviously underneath that is sort of what can you trust? What can you believe what you're reading much anymore, which is already something we're grappling with enormously. I don't know, Vicky, what do we do with all this? I don't know if you have uh, any thoughts on what you advise kind of younger creatives coming in to think about all this. Well, yeah, I, I had thought about younger creatives and all this. And by the way, Ian and Eric are much more informed to discuss all of this than I am. So just quickly. Yeah, I am concerned for junior creatives. You know, coming in, you're always told to look at what uh, people above you who inspire you are up to and what they're working on, what they're doing and, and to learn from them. And if things are artificial, how will they know the difference? What will learning look like? Um, I guess education is going to look completely different anyway with AI coming in because I know there's concern about students getting AI to write their homework for them. Can I give you a positive one? I, I was reading uh, earlier on the thing about how actually what we should think of is is that some of these things are, are better readers than they are writers, which re- reminded me of a, a conversation I had with a friend of mine who had been showing his son how to use chat GPT not to cheat at homework but how to take his revision notes and write them in a way that was more memorable for him and this sort of led me down one of the sort of things that AI could open up which is incredibly positive which is this conversation about sort of writing revision notes in a way that he would remember them it's like oh my god for everyone that has a you know a neurodiversity or a way of consuming content it's like wouldn't it be amazing if you had an assistant that could basically you know automatically summarize things in a way that was the most creative, the most inspiring, the most, you know, that gave you whatever you needed that day, that content to be shaped like. And it does all kinds of strange things that you're saying, Vicky, for the future of education, for the future of of content, but actually just for me to feel like I had a, a, you know, and and I think that's one of the feelings that I've had around this latest wave is that kind of sci-fi thing of a technological assistant that can do your bidding for you is actually the thing that feels the closest in this if you could imagine what are the nice things that if I had all of those powers how could that make my life better if if I had agency over and it was it was my assistant that wasn't you know owned by a big corporation yeah I love that and it's very similar to what somebody else said to me recently which is about treating it like your intern and obviously there are going to be loads of things that AI are useful for and like I said before I am a technophobe and I'm conscious of sounding very much like one in this chat but the three of us are all independent so the idea of having an intern doing things for us so that we can get on with the things that we need to do as in our primary role things like that are really useful and interesting of course. I think AI is going to introduce a lot of interesting games that people are going to play with each other. And games is really, you know, downplaying, I think, the severity and the chaoticness that would result from that. But it's like, at the same time, we've oriented society and we shape society in very undeniably cruel ways that don't really account for a lot of people. And so, you know, for every, like, post I read about an AI filter on TikTok, you know, entrenching someone's body dysmorphia even further... You know, I also try to think about 
you know, the person, the closeted trans person that's living like in the state of Kentucky, just looking at themselves in a gender affirming way, you know, a woman looking at themselves like the woman that they've always dreamed of that, that they wanted to be, you know, through this filter. And, and this is the thing too, where it's like, I think I was, I was born in a very particular time where it's like, I, I very much remember life before and after the internet, but Wikipedia became a thing when I was in high school. And I think, I think we're, I remember it coming out in the education system, just being like really against Wikipedia. And then I think two, within two years, everybody just started using it, right? Like at first it was like, I heard the same things. Like, it's not accurate. Anybody could write it. There's no things. And then, you know, suddenly we just kind of accept it as like the baseline. And so for better or worse, it's like, you know, the things that we care about and that we worry about, it's like, we might just like kind of settle into it. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because, you know, it's also like kind of like the calculator debate, right? Like should students be allowed to bring their textbooks with them to take a test? Should them, you know, should they be allowed to use a calculator? I think the short-term answer is just like, well, you know, if not everyone has equal access to it, that's cheating. That's an unfair advantage. Yeah. But, you know, the whole point, like the education system, just emphasizing testing so much gives a whole group of people an unfair advantage. Like jobs being like nine to five, give people, give a whole group of people like unfair advantages over people who just, whose minds just aren't really built for that, whose bodies aren't really built for that. I, I talk about AI art a lot and I, and I romance and I also like proselytize and I talk about how scary I think things are, but you know, for, for someone like me, like I'm very afraid of confrontation, you know, to a fault. And that has something to do with my own life experiences and my own trauma, my own upbringing. And a lot of times, like, I don't really ask for the things I genuinely want. So a thing that I asked ChatGPT to do is that, like, I don't ask it to write me an email. I write my email and I just say, like, can you honestly tell me if I'm not being assertive enough? And, and what would you do to make this email more succinct and assertive? For every, like, kind of zany AI experiment I post on social media, what people don't really see is that, like, I've used this tool just to get through the day that's just been made unnecessarily hard because of just how the world works. And I don't have any shame in that. And so this is the thing that's like, I think really hard because it's like, yeah, short term, it's like really chaotic. But the thing about this is, is like, you know, like the one thing that's like really promising about these like AI services is that like, you know, they're taking a subscription from you. Like th that's bad for a couple of other reasons. Like, I don't think it's sustainable for all of us to have like, you know, software subscriptions, like, but, you know, that's one thing that, that, you know, in Scott Galloway's where it's like, it goes against the original sin of the internet where like, you're the product and like, you're using it for free. Like, this is something that people are tapping into. But what I would say to a, a junior creative, like I think now, or just somebody in school is that like, you are about to be the adult. It's not really up to you to ask people for permission. And whatever advice I give you is probably going to be obsolete the moment it leaves my mouth. This is the time now to not think about the boxes that you've been put in. If you're an illustrator that's worried about somebody hiring AI illustrators instead of actual illustrators, maybe think of yourself as a one-person video game studio because now you also have access to AI software that generates music. So you have background music for you. Now you are, you're gonna soon have access to AI software that is able to elegantly translate 2D assets to three dimensions. So you, know, you might not have to work with a programmer as much. You have AI software available now that helps you you know, code and really maintain and develop apps. And so this is an opportunity to rethink and kind of decouple like labor and difficulty away from experiences. It's going to be chaotic. I think strap in, believe in your own creativity that you're going to adapt and that you're going to find ways to help. But also a lot of things 
could be wiped out. A lot of things could be replaced, but it's not only a lot of the good things that are going to be wiped out. It's going to be a lot of the bad things as well. And so if you're able to position yourself in a way to be curious and to preserve your options in this chaotic and unpredictable world, you've probably set yourself up for success the best you know way that you could if, if you do that. Eric, I think you've brought us to an end of this brilliantly. I think in illustrating both the fact that it feels like we're on a bit of a precipice at the moment and uh, and maybe because we, I think most of us on this call have gone through the two sides of analog and digital. And so we kind of know, reflect back to the precipice of digital and how we didn't really know what was coming, hence the original sin, which I'm now, I think I'm going to use that phrase. But here we are. I think people need to get good at asking questions. It's a new skill, this thing of like having a conversational dialogue with, with a machine. And it's kind of as profound as, as maybe as when as when we first figured out how to use mice. It's a different skill. And I think, you know, knowing how to converse with a, with a machine is something that you know, it may get replaced. For now, it's a way to get the most interesting results out of things. And I think we're just at the beginning, right? So I think even in two months' time, I'm thinking we're recording this podcast now and it won't be going out for a few weeks. It's even possible within that space of time that there may have been significant changes already because it feels like it's moving so rapidly but we'll pause here uh, on the conversation I think this one to go back to maybe we should all get back together in a year's time and see where we are then and uh, and what's happened I think this has raised huge food for thought for now though so I thank all of you uh, Vicky Ian and Eric for your contributions I think it's really a fascinating topic and there's so much more that's going to come so uh, let's get back together and revisit it but for now uh Please subscribe to Creativity Sucks podcast to hear more conversations on things going on in the creative industries. And thank you all for listening.